Amen. Amen. And I love the reality that we get to gather together in worship. Amen. And what we do on Sunday mornings is just simply, it's more than simply, but it's a dress rehearsal for what we will get to do for all of eternity and um, where we will get to sit around the throne of God and, and sing with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation as Revelations proclaims and sing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. All glory and honor and majesty and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the cry of our heart here at Harvest. That's the cry. That's why we exist. We get to celebrate our anniversary in a couple weeks. That's, that's why we're here. To glorify God, to lift Jesus high, and to say the reality that Jesus is better and that he's offering us a life that is better, as we're going to see in the text today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40 today, if you want to get a head start there. Um, we're going to, we're going to have, at the end of the service today, we're going to have a family chat after the response song to give a, uh, just a, a stewardship update, really, as out of a heart of worship, of, of just celebration of what God has done, as we look eagerly forward to what God is doing. So just be aware of that, and you probably received a, a handout on the way in that, that corresponds with that, a budget, and if you didn't, there's one on the back uh, connections table for you. We'd love for for you to grab that. Um, question for you as we, as we get going here today is this, is how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? Some, somebody's like, really? You really want to know? Yeah. You know, isn't it interesting when you ask that question or maybe when you respond to that question, how often each day or each week you get asked that question? Now, there, there are some common responses. And yeah, we'll, 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 we'll stereotype a little bit, but that's okay. One response on one end of the pendulum is like the Tony Tiger response. Like, great, right? Like no extra caffeine required type of person. Like actually you should get cut off from caffeine type of person, right? And then on the other side, there's the Eeyore response. Life is bad. Woe is me, All right? Let's just go eat worms. And then somewhere in the middle is a, it's okay. Yeah, could be better, could be worse. All of those things are really just a, please don't ask me how I'm really doing, or I'm not sure that I'm really comfortable sharing you how I am actually doing. But the question today is this, how are you doing? Really? The hope that we have as this text is going to reveal today is that no matter how you walked in this room, whether on your highest of highs or lowest of lows, no matter what you would qualify your life as, that Jesus is here to offer you a better life. What would you say if, if I asked you today, told you today that there is a better life available for you today? That in the whatever past your shame that you're carrying or regrets, whatever present just troubles you're walking through or concerns or whatever future anxieties you have, and maybe it's over finances, maybe it's over going back to school, maybe it's over jobs or careers or marriages or broken relationships or hurt or shame or whatever it is, that Jesus is here to offer you something better. Now, the reality is, is when I say better, this is not a quick fix better. This is not an empty promises making pyramid scheme offering shortcuts making better. The world tries to offer us that, right? Just go on the internet or turn on your TV. Hey, if you eat this pill, you'll lose like 100 pounds overnight, right? If you endeavor in this financial opportunity that you will be a millionaire by the time that you're 25 or tomorrow, whatever it is. And how often all of those things fall short. But the, what Jesus is offering you today is not an easy life, but it is a better life. And it's available for each and every one of us in this room or joining us in person or watching us online. The question is not, does Jesus offer you a better life? The question is, what is your response to his better life that he offers? Because how you respond will dictate everything for you. And while I might not know exactly what you're walking through today, I might not know exactly your past, here's the good news. God does. God loves. God sees you. God cares. God sent Jesus to die for you anyway, because God wants to live forever with you in eternity. Praise him. It's all about Jesus. Today, we're going to see the reality that God's worthiness, because of his greatness, ignites my faithfulness. And it demands a response from me. The big idea you'll see on the screen, you'll see on the notes is this, and you'll see vividly throughout this text is this. Seeing God as worthy fuels me to live faithfully. Seeing God as worthy, as bigger, as greater, as sovereign over everything, as creator, as Lord, as sustainer, as my only hope fuels me to live a life of faithfulness. 
in response of who God is to me, what he's done for me, and what he continues to do in me and through me. When we talk about seeing, I literally mean focus, like see. Like, and I just pray today that you would see God as bigger and Jesus as greater than whatever you're walking through. That the, your future is actually brighter than what you might have imagined walking in here. And I'm not talking about your financial portfolio or your GPA or what college you will or won't go into. I'm talking about the guaranteed reality that if you put your faith in Christ, you get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And that is greater than anything you can imagine here on earth. And that is what the text will teach us today. The question is, what do we actually do if we actually believe that? How would that change the way that we live? Which is what the author is really inspiring us to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we pray that God would give us this better life, a greater vision of who he is to live out the faithfulness that he so graciously has sustained us and provided for us. Father, we love you. And we just come to you in the broken reality of our past and our present and our hurts and about our future and our uncertainties. And we just are crying out to you today, God, reveal yourself to us. Help us to see you as bigger and greater. Just a glimpse of the reality of who you are. And may that sustain us to live faithfully each and every day for you. God, as we walk for you, and walk in you. God, as we don't do it in our own strength, but we do it through the strength that you so graciously offer us each and every day. And Father, I just pray right now that Holy Spirit, you would move in a profound way, that you would settle our hearts, that you would just focus our minds, that you would eliminate distractions, and that you would speak in a way that only you can, in the way in which you would, and that we would open our hands and open our hearts and open our minds to respond, Holy Spirit, however you would lead us. That you would convict us and compel us, encourage us and exhort us to live and walk in the way that you want us. The freedom that you so graciously give us and provide for us. Choosing to walk and embrace the better life that you have made a way for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the, the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 11. And Hebrews is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible in the New Testament. There, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some on the table in the back for you. We would love for you to take that as yours and, and write it in it, underline it, memorize it, live it. No, no greater joy or privilege or pleasure would, would we have than you doing that. So Hebrews 11, we're going to conclude the chapter 11 that we've been walking through and seeing how God's faith is demonstrated in every season, every circumstance, even when we are faithless, God is faithful, as will be on vivid display today. So Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say, the author of Hebrews says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and, and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might also, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens in the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Praise God for his word, amen. Praise God for the better life that this text speaks so vividly, clearly, literally about and that God is offering to us today, each and every day. Now, as we look at this original context and understand that section, uh, the chapter 11 here is, is a part of a greater letter written by the author of Hebrews to believers back in the early church and is applicable to us today, we understand that chapter 11 fits into the greater context of the entire book of Hebrews. And so we have to understand the themes of the book of Hebrews to see how this really applies for us today. And as we talked about at the beginning of the series a couple months ago, we see that the author's really wanting us to understand a couple of things. One is this, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in and through every season and situation. That Jesus is greater than the situations. He's even greater than the angels, he says in chapter one. Praise God. 
and that we are empowered through the greatness of God, the worthiness of Jesus Christ, the greatness that he offers us, the grace that he gives us to endure through every trial and persecution, which the, the original recipients of this letter were enduring, to endure through the perseverance that God's grace sustains us with. And that is the light, as, as he shines the light, the focus on Old Testament examples, heroes of the faith, if you would, who endured, who persevered, who were flawed, but God's faithfulness in the middle of their flaws demonstrated God's greatness and his worthiness and sustained the saints in the Old Testament to walk in faithfulness in the same way that it sustains us today and provides for us today. That in the middle of our fallenness, our own brokenness, the depravity of the world around us, that God is still faithful, amen? Praise God for that. And so because God is worthy, he's over, he's sovereign, that we can walk in his strength, that we can walk and be equipped through his grace, through his mercy, that we can walk faithfully and respond daily to that. The author is encouraging the original recipients of this letter and us to live faithfully and courageously for God out of an act of worship to God. That our faithfulness, our obedience is worship. Worship, we love to sing, amen? And the worship, that is a huge part of worship. We want to be passionate in our worship, but worship is so much more than what we get to do together on a Sunday morning for a few moments and sing together. Worship is 24-7. It is a lifestyle. It is a heart setting on an exaltation of Jesus Christ, of lifting him high above everything and overflow of that. Jesus looked at his disciples right before he went to the cross, the night before John 14, and said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. You will live faithfully. You'll walk out of a heart of worship in response to my worthiness. If you love me, you will live faithfully and obediently. Do you know that our modern English word for worship actually comes from an old English word, worth-ship? Worship is ascribing worth. Worship is a value assessment and saying, Jesus, I've looked at everything around me and I'm determining today, I'm giving you that you are greater. That you're more important than my job more important even than my earthly family, more important than my bank account. And because of that, I will follow you. You're greater than my biggest stressors. You're greater and you're bigger than my biggest um, detractors, trials, tribulations, that you're sovereign over it all, that you're worthy in it all, and you will sustain me for it all. That's worship. And as as I assess my time, my talent, my treasure, my pursuits, am I living a life of faithfulness in view of God's worthiness? So we're going to look at today three reasons why God is worthy of my faithfulness. God is worthy. Three reasons from this text. And by reasons why, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that God is auditioning for your faithfulness. This is not an audition of God's worthiness. Okay, God, if I in my own human finiteness declare you and decide you'd be worthy, then I'll follow you. Then I'll obey. Then I'll sustain. Then I'll endure. Then I'll give. Then I'll go. If I determine that you are worthy, it's not an audition by God. This is a declaration of God that he is worthy. And because he is worthy, me, as I subordinate, submit my life, surrender under him, I will follow him. I will obey him. I will, and I will delight in that. A big, huge transition as we grow in our own spiritual maturity is moving from I have to do this out of a uh, religion-based background to I get to do this, to I, I delight in doing this out of a heart of worship because he's God. And I have the joy and the privilege to follow him wherever he might lead and to respond to him in love out of a heart of worship. So three reasons from this text, how God declares his worthiness and I am then empowered and fueled to respond with faithfulness. The first is this, God is worthy because God's grace is stronger. God's grace is stronger. Now if we look at verse 32, the writer of Hebrews here is writing like a preacher on the clock He's writing like a preacher that hears the tummy's grumbling and the buffets are opening soon, right? Like literally, he says this, what shall I say more? For time would fail me. He's like, I'm running out of time to tell you about all the rest of the Old Testament saints. But there's a list and he begins to rattle them off. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. As the author of Hebrews is demonstrating God's greatness and worthiness of this roll call of of folks who have demonstrated extraordinary faith, we are going to find these people that are written right here, these men, to be actually quite ordinary in and of themselves, to be quite flawed, 
to have many moments of failure and faithlessness. But God demonstrated his faithfulness in the middle of their failures, demonstrating his worthiness and how his grace is stronger than our greatest shortcoming and sin. Praise God for that, amen. We're all on a faith journey full of ups, downs, and all arounds. I don't know about you, but that's my life. Maybe that's just me. But I think it's all of us that we stumble, that we fall, that we take a couple steps backwards, that we walk away at times. And maybe no matter where you are, I want you to know you're loved, that God sees you, he loves you, and you're welcome here and wanted here. But the first four people listed in this text are found in the book of Judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. And if you were to summarize the book of Judges, if you know your Old Testament, it's actually summarized by the last verse in the entire book of Judges. And here it is, you'll see it on the screen in your notes. This is a summary of the entire book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, does that resemble to today's culture at all? Just a little bit, right? I'm going to do it. I am my arbiter of my own truth. Truth is what I see it. I'm going to do what my feelings rule me. I'm going to do what I feel like, what I want. I'm the boss of me. I do, I do, I do. That's not faith. It's faith in yourself. It's not faith in your Savior. It will lead you nowhere but destruction. And the folks and judges wrestle with that. But they had to choose to see differently. They, they met God, God, and more importantly, actually better said, God met them in the middle of their mess. My son, our son Isaiah, this earlier this week, got a new set of glasses. His eyesight has been sort of, and one eye in particular, one eye's great, one eye has, has sort of deteriorated over time significantly, so the fact that he needed glasses significantly. And now he can see a little bit differently, right? Because his eyes are back in focus. How many of us have taken our eye off the worthiness of God and focused it on culture, thinking that cultures are stronger, that the world is, is what we need to pursue, that the world can offer what we are, our heart yearns for. By the way, your heart yearns for eternity, Ecclesiastes 3. God has said eternity in the hearts of men. You will not find what your soul is searching for in any, any pill, any bottle, any job title, any amount of money, any social status, married, kids, whatever, college, whatever. It will not satisfy you. Only Jesus satisfies you. And so where is your focus? Because the world tends to distort our focus, distract our focus, disrupt our focus from seeing God as worthy because it claims that the world is worthy and it's not. In fact, as we see in this text, the calling of this text, verse 38, is to live a life in which the world is not worthy. We aren't trying to aim to live a life that pleases the world. Or are you doing that though? So where do you need to change your judgment? And we see some examples right here that, that are, are hope giving, but also convicting. They are for me because I want you to see yourself in the story. Don't just go, how dare Gideon do this? Like, that's us, right? So many of our focus is out there, the problem's out there, but really the problem's in here. Gideon, Judges 6, he's a frightened farmer in hiding. The angel of the Lord comes and really it says, oh, basically the people of Israel at the time are being oppressed by the Midianites. The Lord shows up in a cave where Gideon is literally hiding, and it says to him, O Gideon, Lord, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, if the angel of the Lord showed up to you and said that to you, you're like going to get a little pep in your step? Not so much Gideon. Gideon's like, you talking to me? Like, you have no idea. I'm the least person in the least tribe. No way that you, I can do what you're calling me to do, which is lead the men of Israel on battle to win a war against our, our enemies that are clearly dominating us right now. And the angel of the Lord says, yes, you can. Why? Because God is with you. You need to trust that him. And Gideon said, I need proof. Not once, but twice, right? God in his grace gave Gideon proof. Praise God for that. God didn't have to, he chose to. And so in Gideon's fear, God in his grace was stronger because we see that in the text. In verse 34, it lists all these examples and they did all these great things, but don't miss verse 34. Quench the power fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of what? Weakness. God in his grace says, my strength is greater. My grace is stronger than your weakness. Praise God. God made them strong. Now, did they like bulk up and do it themselves? No. What does the text say? Who made who strong? God made them strong. Praise God. God is worthy. God, in Gideon's fear, empowers him through his grace with strength over time to lead the mighty men. And he does a bunch, you know, read the story yourself. It's crazy. Eventually it's 300 men, some lights, some jars, some trumpets, and they, God just did a thing and stirred the, and gave them the victory. Praise God. He's faithful even when we're fearful. God's grace is stronger than your fear. 
What are you fearing today that's prohibiting obedience? Barak, the next name, Judges 4. He was unwilling, he was a commander of the Lord's, one of the armies then, and at this time the prophets and the prophetesses and judges were leading the land, there was no king. He, he, Deborah, the prophetess at the time, a judge, said, here, Barak, God is calling you to go lead the army to victory against Sisera, and, and Barak said, I will not go unless you come with me. And she said, okay, but here's the deal. Here's the consequence. You will not receive the glory for this. I will give the, the glory or the win, the victory to Jael, who when you read your Bible, it's pretty crazy. His sister lies down in Jael's tent after being running from the battlefield. She, he falls asleep. She drives a tent peg through his head. She, praise God for his grace that even when Barak was fearful, even in the brokenness of his own heart, the doubt, God was faithful. And whatever fears you're facing today to live with faithfulness, know that God's grace is stronger than your fears. Will you trust him? Jephthah, he was a warrior, but he had a, he had a, he had a background full of shame. He was a son of a prostitute. He was a mighty warrior, but he was kicked out of his own home by his siblings who said, you are illegitimate. You don't belong here. And maybe you're carrying shame from your past that is prohibiting current faithfulness. I just want you to know God's grace covers it. Because he got kicked out by his siblings, his half-siblings. And then they came back to him. The town leader said, you're a mighty warrior. We're being oppressed. We need you. And he said, really? Now you need me? And God said, do it. And he said, okay. So he led the people of battle into, uh, Israel into battle. But before he led them into battle against the Ammonites, he made a vow to the Lord and said, if you give me the victory, I will, allow, I will take whatever comes out of my house as the first thing when I get home. And I will sacrifice it as a thanks for you. That was a foolish vow. God gave him the victory. You know what the first thing that came out of the doors of his house was? His daughter. We don't have to earn God's grace. Barter for God's grace. God's grace is a gift. It's unmerited favor. He didn't have to make that vow, but he was trying to earn some credit with God Praise God that we don't, he gives us his grace even when we don't earn it or deserve it. It's like that you're in the middle of the night and you're like, God, if you get me through this one horrible night, I will go to church for the rest of my life. Every Sunday, I won't miss it, right? <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with going to church. I, I, I pray that you would make that a priority. But we don't need conditional obedience. Receive the gift and then out of the reception of the grip, then, then work for Christ and respond to the gift in that way. Jephthah was foolish in a vow to God. He was trying to earn his favor. He didn't need to earn his favor. Where are you trying to earn God's favor with your actions or your offers to God? Just receive it. God's grace, he gave him the victory. Samson. Samson was, Samson was dedicated as a Nazarite to God. Nazarite had a lot of vows, but Samson, had, honestly, if you read through scripture, he would win the best hair award probably in all of scripture. He had long hair, but part of the Nazarene vow of the razor was never allowed to touch his head. Samson diverted from the, the Lord through many, many victories. He's arguably the greatest warrior to ever walk this planet. And he allowed sexual promiscuity in a relationship with a, a Philistine woman by the name of Delilah to get the best of him. She deceived him, had his hair cut, and he lost all his power, was captured, bound by the Philistines, thrown into a, a jail cell, mocked, worked the mill, and they were having a big victory celebration one time. They brought him out, put him between two pillars. They wanted to make fun of him. And he said, God, please, one more time, give me the strength. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. But God, please, if you would, I want to bring this house down and give you glory, and I will give my life for that. And God, in his grace, despite his past failures and shortcomings and walking away from the Lord, guess what God did? He did that. And Samson literally brought the house down, pushed the columns apart, house comes tumbling down. God's grace is greater and stronger than your past shortcomings and failures. Praise God, amen. You are not limited in present faithfulness by your past unfaithfulness because God's grace covers it. His grace is stronger in our weakness. He makes the strength out of our weakness. Praise God for that. David and Samuel, many of you know the story. David was a little shepherd boy turned warrior king. Samuel anointed him, said God looks at the heart. God looks at the inside. The world looks at the outside. Well, David had some victories, including Goliath. But later in life, when he had power, he took his eyes off the Lord. He was not seeing God's worthiness. He was looking at his self-sinful flesh. He, in his lust, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he committed murder to cover it up. Great earthly consequences. The baby died. There was chaos in the line in the family of David for, in, for the rest of David's life. He was not able to build the temple that he wanted to. 
But God in his grace restored the personal relationship with him, Psalm 51, through a truly repentant heart. Praise God for his grace. In our shortcomings, his grace is stronger. What this text speaks to is the reality that we are fallen sinners with great flaws, but we have a God who has greater grace and stronger strength. That in our weakness, God demonstrates his faithfulness and his greatness and his worthiness and his grace to work in us in ways that we can't even understand and then choose to work through us in ways that blow our mind. That God wants to use the ordinary, you and me, by the way, we're ordinary, to do his extraordinary, to do things that we can't even imagine through his grace because it's stronger. That in, we are not limited by our weakness because God's strength is greater than our weakness. In fact, our weakness is our strength because we allow God to flow in us and through us in a greater way than we ever thought possible or could do ourselves. Where do you need to humble yourself and throw yourself on the weakness of God, on the strength of God and ask for it? And you're like, how do I get this strength? How, I, I'm feeling weak today. I, I'm bound by the shame of my past. I'm, I'm tangled up in the, in the troubles of my present. I can't get out of, I can't get my mind off the f- anxieties and the worries about the future. Whatever those are, the details are different. All of us probably find ourselves in one of those categories. Well, praise God that we have a God that is not unfamiliar with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews is already setting the table in Hebrews 4 for this moment when he talks about Jesus like this. Since then, we have such a, a great high priest. God is greater. He's worthy. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets you. He knows you. He understands what you're walking through. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence, what? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Praise God. So my question for you right now is that God's grace is available to you. Wherever you are right now, whatever that sin is, that deep, dark, hidden sin that you have not confessed yet, that is gnawing at you, that has bound you, God's grace is greater Whatever that present trouble is that you don't know how to get out of, God's grace will sustain you and endure you through it and provide for you in it in whatever way he would. Whatever future anxiety is just making you cower in fear and allowing you or prohibiting you from getting out of bed in the morning, God's grace will sustain you. My question for you is this, are you going to God in that trouble, in that weakness, or are you running from God trying to do it yourself? That's this text. Hebrews 4.14 we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Why? Because Jesus Christ, our great high priest, went to the cross for you and I. Our sin requires a death penalty, a perfect sacrifice that we aren't, that we can't, give, we can't offer, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that he can make a way for us, that he pays our price, that when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness and the temple was torn into and we can now have direct access to God, the throne of grace, through Jesus' sacrifice in the gospel. His grace is greater than your greatest weakness. Are you turning to him today? God's grace is stronger than your past sin and and shame and shortcomings. God's grace is stronger than your present troubles. God's grace is stronger than your future anxieties. Are you running to God today? That throne of grace, that mercy. God's mercy says, I'm going to take away what you do deserve. God's grace says, I will give you what you don't deserve. God's mercy and his grace meet perfectly at the cross. He takes away our sin penalty. He gives us eternal life. His grace is stronger. Will you run to him today? Don't let your past failures prevent present or future faithfulness. Where are you doing that right now? Where are you doing that right now? And when you're tempted to, here's what I challenge you to do. See God's worthiness. See his words. Get your gospel glasses on, right? And now instead of looking at your problems, focus, see God's promises. Instead of looking at the negative in your circumstances, see and focus on the certainty of God's character in the middle of your circumstances. Change your focus. Instead of looking at your weakness, choose to worship through your weakness. Change your focus. Where are you focusing today? Praise God for that. God is worthy because in his grace, he empowers the ordinary to do his extraordinary. Seeing God as worthy fuels me to live faithfully. And maybe it's like a gas station. Maybe you've run out of gas in your life and you just need to sit in the presence of God and go to God and renew your mind, restore your heart, 
refresh your soul, reset your life on the reality that God's grace is sufficient for you. And just rest in that today. And as you're refueled, you are then strengthened to continue the rest of your faith journey, filled with God's grace, stepping out in faith through God's grace, for God's glory, knowing that he strengthens you in your weakness to do his work for his glory. Praise him for that, amen. The second reason that God deserves and God is worthy of it all and demonstration of it in this text is this, because the life God offers is better. The life God offers is better. There's an important transition here in verse 35. And we see this. We see the reality that God does not always provide earthly deliverance, and that's okay. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a what? Better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They were skins and sheeps of goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in really nice high rises. No. Deserts, mountains, dens, caves. Sometimes, even in the lives of those who are faithful on earth, God in his sovereignty allows them to, to die a painful death to go through an illness that is debilitating, that there is no cure. One of my heroes, missionary heroes, is a guy and this guy by the name of Jim Elliott and four others, and his brothers who gave their lives trying to get to people, get the gospel to people that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ in Ecuador, named the Aka Indians. They were there for a couple days and they were martyred for the Lord. So why does God shut the lie? Why does God allow them to be killed and others to be delivered? Why does God shut the mouths of lions, the lions for Daniel and the lions den, but allow believers to be eaten by lions in the Colosseum at Rome and martyred? Why does God heal some saints and not the others? Why, when you read Acts 12, does God allow one disciple, James, to be killed and then gives Peter the same situation, a miraculous escape? Because he's God and I'm not, I have no idea other than it will achieve God's glory. And I need to be okay with that. Why? Because the better life that God offers is better. The life that God offers is better. Because the life that God offers is focused on eternity, not earthly. These folks in this text were unwilling to accept release. We're not going to compromise on your terms. We will not stop telling people about Jesus. Okay, then you're going to stay in jail. That's okay with me because I'm looking forward to a better life. I have my eyes fixed on eternity. I see the worthiness of not just heaven, not just a get out of jail free card. Okay, but a get to be with Jesus forever reality. Praise God for that, amen? We have to look at heaven, not just as a get out of hell free card, but the joy and the privilege that it is better to spend eternity face to face worshiping with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords named Jesus Christ. And that is greater than anything we at this world has to offer. And when we fix our eyes on the reality that this text says that that is the better life, we are strengthened to endure anything because no one can take that away from us. They can take your money, they can take your job, they can take your life, but they can't take that. Praise God for that. They can't separate you from the love of God. So Christians, brothers, sisters, loved ones, where are you focused? On earth or on eternity? Because when you're focused on eternity, you hold your money looser and you give it more away freely. You hold your time looser because you're giving your life for what matters. You're willing to go to hard places. You might die, but people need the gospel like Jim Elliott and his friends. They need to hear. Why? Because we treasure Jesus is greater and better, not just for me, but for all those that are around me. That's the message of these martyrs. And they're just ordinary people. You're like, I could never do that. They couldn't do that in their own strength. It's through the grace and the power of God that when they were weak, in verse, go back to 34, God strengthened them to endure. God strengthened them to change their perspective. He strengthened them to step out in faith. He strengthened the widow to give her last two mites. He strengthened Daniel to endure the lion's den. He strengthened the early church to endure persecution and martyrdom and willingness. And while you might not be faced with the reality of being sawn in two. By the way, this still happens over the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and other places in this world. Let's not be ignorant to that reality. But here in the West, 
what this text is asking us is, are we looking to the better life that is Jesus Christ for all of eternity and viewing every ounce of our earthly life in view of that reality with our time, with our finances, with our steps of faith, are we viewing that the life that God offers is better? Because when we view that the life that God offers is better, we are willing to go where places previously we weren't willing to go. We're willing to sacrifice things that we weren't willing to previously sacrifice. We're willing to adjust our priorities because our focus has changed. We trust the sovereignty of God. And we lean towards that and we look towards it with hope and beauty and reality. So how do we endure trials and tribulations? By embracing the reality that God is greater and that the life that he has to offer us for eternity is better. And then we begin to live a life that the world is not worthy of because our life is focused on living out of the reality that God is worthy and not focused on trying to strive to, to win the accolades of the world, to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not saying that making money is bad inherently. I'm saying if money is your God, that's an idol. I'm not saying that having time or building a healthy family is bad inherently. I'm saying that if that is your top priority, if that is what you consider the best life, that is an idol. Because it all comes under, it all falls under the reality that God is better. Amen? And we trust that he's going to work in every season and situation for his glory. Paul Tripp says often that good things become idolatrous things when they become ruling things. It's not that it's not good or from God or a gift from God, but even good things can become easily idolatrous things when they take the place of God in our lives. So as you do an inventory of your own life, what do you consider the best thing in your life? What are you pursuing? What does your checkbook demonstrate? What does your calendar dictate? What is what you find joy in? Because here's the reality, brothers and sisters, we find the time for what really matters to us. And often we make the money, we make the money work for what really, really matters to us, whether it's a subscription to this or whether it's eating out over there or being, going on vacations or I can't go on a mission, I got vacation suit, I don't have money to give because I go to Starbucks all the time or I gotta have my golf lessons or I, I don't have time to go to church because I'm out doing whatever I am on Sunday morning that is more important to me than this. Friends, let me ask your heart this. In response to the reality of God's worthiness, in the response even greater to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, so many of us would sing and say, I want to be like Jesus, right? Until it actually means being like Jesus. Jesus often, read Luke 9. You want to follow me? The Son of God has no place to lay his head. But we're so consumed with getting the next biggest house that we're like, Jesus is like, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. We let comfort be our God, especially in the West. What if, what, if there's something in your life that if Jesus asked you to lay it down and you wouldn't, it's probably an idol. What is it? Or if he asked you to do something and you say, no, it's probably an idol because you're elevating it literally over Jesus. In response to who Jesus is, in response to the reality that Jesus went to the cross, he held not his blood back, not his body back. He held not his time back. He was unjustly treated. He was whipped, mocked, scorned, rejected by those closest to him right before he went to the cross and he died for them anyway. He washed the feet of Judas anyway. He went on the cross for Peter who had just disowned him and denied him three times anyway. Praise God, amen. In response to that is who we are called to be. That that is the standard. It is Jesus. And in response to who he is, is there really something in your life that you are unwilling to endure for Jesus? Is there something in your life that you are unwilling to give to Jesus, whether it's your time, your money, your resources, your talents? What in your life or where in your life is a place that you're unwilling to go or a conversation that you're unwilling to have in light of who Jesus is. For some of us, it's harder to go across the street than it is the world to tell people about Jesus. Others of us, it's easier to go across the street, across the world than it is across the street. In response to the worthiness of Jesus, who he is to me, do I genuinely believe that the life that God offers is better? Because if you do, read the New Testament, see how Paul lived. Look how Jesus lived. 
and compare that with how you're living. The details might be different, but the calling and the pursuit is the same. Does Jesus have some things in your life or does he have everything in your life? Does he have your hands? Does he have your heart? Does he have your bank account? Are you truly believing and focusing on the reality that Jesus is better? The heart posture of worship that life with Jesus, God is better looks at God and says, if you are most glorified by delivering me out of this circumstance, then please do that. But it also looks at God and says, if you are most glorified by not giving me earthly deliverance and allowing me to be sought into, allowing my loved one to die, allowing this dream to die that I had, if you are most glorified, if you want me to change careers or stay in a place I don't want to stay or go to a place I don't want to go, if you are most glorified by that, blessed be your name and I will follow you. Because that's what Jesus did the night before he went to the cross. God, if there's any other way, right? Take this cup from me, but not my will, but whose be done? Yours, looking to eternity and the reality that Jesus wanted to spend eternity with you. Will you today anchor in that reality that God offers a better life? Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, Rachel Saint, the, the, the sister of Nate Saint, who both their, their husband and brother perished, were martyred, viewed the reality that the life that Jesus offers is better and they didn't always want it for themselves. They were entrusting their future eternity to God, but they wanted it for everyone, including those who literally murdered their loved ones. They went back to the Alka Indians and they lived with them and they shared the gospel. And you know what God did? He saved essentially that whole neighborhood through that faithful testimony. Are you willing to look at the reality that God is better and live your life that way? Seeing God as worthy fuels me to live faithfully wherever he calls and whatever he asks. The third reason that God is worthy of my faithfulness that is demonstrated in this text is this, that because God's provision is greater. Look at verses 39 and 40. And all those who, who, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What this text is teaching us right here is that it's a tying back to verse two where it talks about being commended through their faith. It says they didn't receive what was promised. You're like, what was promised to them? Well, here's what this text is saying. It is saying that these Old Testament saints did not get to personally see Jesus die on the cross for their sins. They didn't get to personally witness the installation of the new covenant through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is the only way to God. They didn't get to see that, but they were still saved through their faith because they trusted the promises of God that there was one coming as they looked to Jesus, the forecoming of Jesus. We now have the privilege to look back. Now, what is this something that God has provided that was great, better? It says it right there in 40, since God has provided something better for us. Who's us, the church right now? You know what that something better is? The reality that we can look back on Jesus's finished work on the cross with confidence. Praise God, amen. That when Jesus said it is finished, it means it is finished. That your future, if you put your faith in him, salvation is a free gift. You don't, can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But we must respond to God's offer of grace with faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That the provision that God offers is better. He sent Jesus the first time. And through the provision of the cross, the crucifixion, he offers us salvation. Praise God, amen. That his provision of Jesus is better than anything the world offers. It's better than our sin. He covered our sin. He paid the price. But that's not even the final story here. Because faith, as the author of Hebrews is describing it right here, is a forward-looking faith. It's a future-focused faith. That we are not stuck in our past, our shame, our regrets, our sin, our shortcomings, our failures. But through the confidence that God offers, we can look forward, we can step forward in faith. Because this text is not just reflecting back on the cross, the first coming of Jesus. It is profoundly looking to the second coming of Jesus. Where something greater that God is providing in the consummation as Jesus comes. The first coming through the crucifixion, we have something God provided our salvation and a new life. In the second coming of Jesus, as his text is pointing us to, he's offering the consummation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new glorified body. Praise God for that, amen? That no matter what comes our way, that we can look forward with confidence and hope, anchored in the reality that God's provision 
is greater. His provision of Jesus for our salvation and then eventually his provision of Jesus for our glorification. Praise him for that, amen. That there is a new heaven and earth where there's gonna be no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. Revelation 21, 22, our God wins where we get to worship around the throne and sing salvation belongs to our God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And that forward focus, that future mindedness should propel our faithfulness as we anchor our hearts on God's worthiness today, amen? That he is worthy of my faithfulness because I get to look forward to eternity with him. Praise God for that. I think Paul describes this beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4. And I just want you to close your eyes with me as I read this to you. Think about what you're walking through, the trials, the tribulations, the distresses, the concerns, the past. And I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, a forward-looking faith, future-focused, And I want you to find yourself in this story, these words, and I pray that they would stir your heart with an affection for the worthiness of God, that you can rest and find hope and that the the life that God offers you on earth, that Jesus offered the abundant life of hope, joy, peace are found in him. But that's not even the end as we look forward confidently to the eternal life, the greater glory, the goodness, the testimony that God offers us. Here are the words from Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Through 18, just let this soak in your soul. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He's greater, friends. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. He's worthy, guys. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Praise God. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And he will bring us with you into his presence. His life is better. For it is all for your sake, all of it trials, tribulations, all of it. So that as grace, which is stronger, extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Praise his holy name forever. Jesus is offering you a better life. And seeing God is worthy fuels us to live daily faithfully. Would you, as Amy continues to pray, play, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now? In view of who God is, in view of the better life that he's offering, how, do you, how, is, how is the Holy Spirit asking you to respond? Maybe for some it's confessing, confessing sins where you've lost your focus and asking God to return you. Maybe Hebrews, it's a Hebrews 4 moment. We need to go to the throne of grace and just cry out, asking God for mercy and grace and saying, you promised to give it, please, and we need it. And this is a collective letter. It's written to a gathering of people. You don't have to go to the throne room together. We will go with you. Maybe God is asking you to put your faith in him and today's the day that you choose to put that faith. Maybe today you lift your eyes off your present troubles and look to eternity. What would change in your life? if you actually believed, if you lived what you say you believe, that the eternal life is better. 
How would it impact your finances? How would it impact your time? How would it impact your testimony? And not just how would it, maybe the question for you today is how should it? This week, just spend some time with the Lord and I'll close this in prayer in about a minute. we are here today to declare the reality that you are worthy of it all. And in humility and reality, we come to you and we confess the times that we have not given you our all, God. And we throw ourselves on your grace and ask you to redeem us and restore us and renew us like you promised us. Jesus, we need you and we love you and we look to you right now. For those that are walking through trials and tribulations, I just pray that they would understand the reality that you are with them right in this moment and their brokenness of their marriages and their families, the unmet desires of their heart, God, that you would reveal the reality that you love them, that you see them, that you're, you're not unfamiliar with their trials, their weaknesses, God, but you are with them and that you love them and that your grace is sustaining them, God. For those that are carrying past shameful regrets and sins, I just pray that they would sense the reality that your grace is stronger in this moment. That they would throw themselves on your grace, God, and repent and walk in the freedom that you so graciously offer. For those of us who have lost our focus and are focused on the world, trying to live a life worthy of the world to keep up with others at the expense of you, forgive us, God. Draw us back to the heart of our first love, God. In an authentic way, God, restore the joy of our salvation, God. Renew us, refresh us again. And for those who are questioning and wondering and doubting, I pray that you would help their unbelief and help our unbelief. Strengthen us, renew us. Save us, God, for anyone who has not put their faith in you, allow them to take that step right now, God and reveal whatever the next step is for every single person in this room to live with the reality that you are better, the life you offer is greater, that your grace is stronger. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. Release our inhibitions and allow you to give us our all because you're worth it and worthy of it and others deserve to hear about it too. May your grace not just abound in us, but through us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.